Hi, this is Bala Chaudhry from DePaul University. You're listening to Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Let's go back in time to January 1st, 2020. Who are you? I'm Julie from Four Months in the Future. Actually? Are you here to tell me what's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because of the, the butterfly effect, I can only really give you... Um, some loose details, but we'll go through the basics, yeah. Okay, cool. So, do you want the good news or the b- bad news? Oh, um, good, good news? Yeah, oh, yeah, great choice. Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Um, so, things have never been better for climate change. No, that's great. Dolphins in the Venice canals. Really? I know. I know. Well, it's, I, I, I mean, I saw it on Facebook. I don't know if it's a real thing. My aunt posted it, but it seems pretty legit. Oh, okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's incredible. You know, especially given the Australian wildfires. The what? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, those are pretty, like, I think those are going to be the defining feature of 2020. Yeah, you'd think. Oh, no? Not even a little bit. Really? Wait, because they're... They're a pretty big deal. Yeah, your definition of a pretty big deal is going to change for sure. Wow. Okay, so what is the bad news then? You are going to want to pull all your investments. What? Yeah, just yeah, get everything out of the stock market. Oh, get it all out. oh it's a recession. You know what? Put a little money in Zoom. Isn't that a conferencing app? Yes, trust me. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Good planets are in the main. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. Yes, you went back in time to an intro from last week, and then you went forward in time to an intro from this week. Was oh, uh, that from next week? Uh, and then maybe we'll have them from two weeks in the future. We don't, we don't know. Uh, which leaves us with like 30 seconds to say hi. And this hour of the Mike Novak Show is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. We are talking bread today it's going to be an interesting show uh we're talking bread we're talking birds so anything that starts with uh, a b 
okay, will we'll work for us today. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, some great guests who are standing by right now on the Zoom. So we will start with, and I'm looking at a bird on my bird feeders, and the bird's going, where's all the seed? Where did it all go? Well, you guys ate it all earlier in the week. There's nothing I can do about that. Uh, but we'll be talking about that later. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We hope you stick around all day. Hey, join us on Facebook or YouTube. We'll be right back. Even during the COVID-19 outbreak, Bartlett tree experts are available to help you with your tree care issues. And now Bartlett is offering a new disinfectant application service for outdoor spaces. Because of their existing equipment, resources, and infrastructure, Bartlett has been able to make a quick transition to assist businesses and homeowners through the application of disinfectant products. They can apply to walkways, patios or decks, fences, gates, playground equipment, stadium seating, park benches, outdoor furniture and tables, and most other hardscape surfaces. While these disinfectants are EPA registered, you'll still want to consult with the Bartlett expert who can walk you through any environmental concerns you might have and how often the product will need to be used. Correct application is highly effective in controlling a wide range of germs and microbes that can cause many illnesses, including COVID-19. Give the folks at Bartlett Tree Experts a call because even in a pandemic, every tree and open space needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. From small boat to your dinner table with safe, free, no contact delivery. Sitka Salmon Shares brings premium wild Alaskan seafood direct from their small boat fishermen to your door. They're a community-supported fishery, offering shares just like your local CSA. All fish is wild caught in season and with respect for the limits of the ocean. Line caught, hand processed, and traceable to their fleet. Use promo code Mike25 for $25 off your share. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Even in the midst of a pandemic, you might be surprised to know that there are still a lot of plant sales going on in the Chicago area. Most are online events with pickups or deliveries or both. And of course, social distancing. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki has compiled the most comprehensive list of plant sales in the region. Go to any page at MikeNovak.net and click on the 2020 Chicago area plant sales image on the right side of the page. Happy gardening and stay safe. Stay home, and I don't think we're going to get zapped by Mark Zuckerberg for that one. That's one of those uh, COVID nineteen parodies. That one is by the Connor Party. Uh, I think that... <laughs> there's a good name. <laughs> yeah, it's a great name, actually. And then that's kind of what happens in this day and age. Um, and welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki and those of you watching on the uh, the YouTube and the Facebook. There's Lagata. Uh, she, she is uh, the star, as you know, of uh, everything, and well, she's prowling, crawling around here on the desktop where there's really no room at all, but uh, she's still going to be here. I know. Say, wave to the people. Okay, there you go. Ellen had her cat up, too. Uh, that's good. 
Uh, and uh, uh, the Ellen and Ellen, you'll probably have to unmute there. And Alyssa, you can unmute too because we're going to talk to you. Right? No, 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 no. Now she went after my breakfast. So uh, no, 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 no. Well, that's why <laughs> that's, she stopped by. She wanted to say hi yeah, and get yeah, your breakfast. Of course, that's why she stopped by. Uh, uh, a, a little while ago, I, it's, it's actually several weeks. Um, I uh, I got a, an email from uh, a woman who works at Family Farm and across. And she said, hey, you probably want to know about this. Uh, there's a way that folks are are getting bread in the Midwest, and I became interested in that. Uh, you know, when you say, "Well, getting bread," early on in the COVID nineteen experience, um, I realized, and Peggy, you did too, that there were certain things you could not get a hold of. <laughs> one of which was yeast, and I had no idea. I mean, how many of us? Raise your hand if you ever thought you'd get to the day when bread was hard to come by all right and then suddenly people couldn't get yeast people couldn't get uh, we tried to get whole wheat flour you weren't getting any of that especially if you had a regular delivery from a a, a supermarket and you know we for a long time Kathleen and I we we actually made our first trip out into the real world into a store this past week after about eight weeks um, and it was terrifying. I have to tell you, it was, it was absolutely terrifying, even though the place we went was the dill pickle co-op and, um, it was wide open and they have a special seniors time and you can go in there and really it was pretty safe, but still that experience going out there. So before then we were trying to get stuff delivered. We had stocked up a little bit and we had some yeast and we, we were putting it in the mail in sending it to friends and relatives because they didn't have anything like that. And um, I had no idea that anything like this would happen. And I think a lot of people didn't have any idea that this would happen. So we get introduced to uh, Alyssa Hartman, uh, who's with the Artisan Grain Collective, a uh, collaborative, collaborative. sorry, collaborative based in Madison, Wisconsin, and she's on the Zoom with us uh, right now, as is Ellen King, head baker, uh, director of baking operations and co-owner of Hewn Bakery, which is in Evanston, Illinois. Let's start with you, Alyssa. You saw all this happening in real time, too, because you're with a bread outfit. How did it affect you when all of this started? Well, I think, as was true for lots of people, I wasn't sure what was about to happen as things were starting. And so back in kind of mid-March, I was thinking back to, I mean, Ellen and I were pretty frequently and furiously texting, trying to figure out what is going to happen. And the work that the Artisan Grain Collaborative does is in convening stakeholders that are engaged in what we call the grain value chain in the upper mm -hmm. Midwest. So we are working to connect farmers, millers, maltsters, bakers, chefs, brewers, and distillers, the people who grow, process, and work with grain in this region. And what we're trying to do is help support and cultivate the development of a regional regenerative grain shed uh, in the upper Midwest. So we want to create a situation in which farmers are able to choose to grow small grains instead of other crops. So things like uh, wheat and barley and spelt and rye 
identify things that bakers really like to work with. And so we were trying to figure out in the midst of this pandemic, how do we ensure that grain continues to move off of farms, through local mills, into bakeries, that bakeries are able to employ their staff and purchase local flour and do all of those things. And we really weren't sure what was going to happen. (laughs) But like you mentioned, Mike, uh, with not being able to buy yeast and bread not being accessible on grocery store shelves, I knew that that meant that food pantries also didn't have access to those products Mm -hmm. because oftentimes the emergency feeding system really relies on excess from retail um, in order to have bread to give to their clients. And so I was in the shower at home and thought, huh, what if we could figure out a way for local bakeries to produce bread using local flour for food pantries. And so Ellen and I exchanged some messages about that. And she said, yep, let's try this. And was the first bakery in Illinois to be producing neighbor loaves. Hey, well, you get a a ding for that. Uh, Peggy, you had your hand up there. Yeah, I just, um, there's a term you used that I'm sure a lot of our listeners aren't familiar with, regenerative grain shed. Yeah, that's pretty jargony, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Our... Our idea of a regenerative grain shed, and I I think there's a lot of different definitions floating around about the word regenerative in general. It's sort of the new sustainability in a lot of ways. What does it mean? Yeah, those words, they, they, you know, we used to say environment, then we said sustainability and sustainable, and now we've got regenerative. And then next week, it'll be something else. It's a a green, sustainable, regenerative grain shed. Yeah, exactly. Those things. And the goal is that the agricultural practices that folks are using to produce grain is Mm -hmm. treating the soil with care that's reducing the amount of pesticides and other artificial inputs on the landscape. And that is also improving their own economic viability on the farm. And this is some of the things it means. Okay. And then the general Midwest area, um, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota. Yes, all those things. We've primarily focused up to this point on Illinois, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, but increasingly other states in the region. Well, you well. have a, you have a an Indiana bakery in involved in in the Bloomington. Climate. Yes, we do. Um, when when does Iowa get on board? <laughs> it's a good question. I have some emails sitting in my inbox from folks from Iowa that I need to respond to. In fact, so well, maybe yeah, sooner than what, later. One of the things you've mentioned and in, in, in you uh, mentioned also on the website, and by the way, go to my website, MikeNovak.net, and you can find the links to all of this, including uh, a really wonderful page that has resources for people who are looking for bread products uh, and ingredients and, and, and everything, pretty much everything related to, to bread. Um, uh, and, and, I, and can I assume that going through there, uh, folks who have been unable to find certain products could purchase them and finally get a hold of them? Yeah, it's interesting. This idea of there being a flour shortage or a grain shortage, certainly people are not able, and I, I think this is still true, might not be able to access the products that they're used to in the places that they're used to getting them. But I think it's really important for your listeners to know that there's actually not a grain shortage. There's not a flour shortage. We have tons of grain and flour right here in the upper Midwest that's sitting in storage for people's use. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just that our global supply chains have fractured during this time, but our local and regional food system has got you. People have grain and flour for you. So take a look at our upper Midwest grain and uh, 
beverage resource list and you can see a number of mills where you can order flour that are right here in the region and can ship grain to your home for you. A couple of them even have yeast in stock. That's true. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And popcorn. <laughs> and I think yeah, it, it is important. And I'm glad you pointed that out, that it, it's not that the, the, the grain products don't exist. We just can't get them to the people efficiently. One of the things that this um, pandemic has exposed here, and I, and, I, and I deliberately use the word exposed, is the fragility of far too many systems in America. What we are discovering is that the, the greatest nation in the history of the planet, as some people like to call it, certainly the richest, uh, has watched institution after institution crumble in the face of this pandemic, whether it's the supply chain. I mean, we've got farmers out there burying crops that they have produced and plowing them under because they can't get them anywhere and it's too expensive for them to, uh, to, uh, to keep. Uh, slaughtering animals needlessly that were raised to be slaughtered and sold, but they can't get that out there. And the meatpacking plants forcing people to, to go in and work uh, when there's COVID-19. The healthcare system is is in ruins to some degree. The, uh, the frontliners risking their lives just to keep people safe. And, and the, uh, the financial system, I mean, on and on and on, the political system, all of it has been exposed for mm-hmm. being propped up with toothpicks, basically. And we have uh, something uh, come along like the pandemic, and man, it, all the dominoes are starting to fall. So then you have to get people like you in regions who say, I'm going to make sure that folks can get what they need. And, and you represent the Midwest, but you would like to reach out across the country, I would imagine. And specific to this program, Neighbor Loaves, that we started, which I can describe just briefly before we hear from Ellen, uh, there are entities now throughout the country that are participating in this program. So this idea that I had in the shower, Neighbor Loaves, was (laughs) to get bakeries producing bread using local grain for food pantries. And so it's been relatively simple. Bakeries have added a new product to their online ordering platforms, which I will say most of them didn't have until the pandemic. It's been incredible how agile people have been in responding in our local area and region. And the community is invited to purchase that bread. And then all of those orders are produced and they are sent to partnered food pantries, much in the way that a bakery would produce for any other wholesale client. So that is the concept, simple, but it is working. And I am pretty comfortable saying that as of today, over 6,000 neighbor loaves have been purchased and uh, are in the process of, if they've not already reached a food pantry, getting there. And we've been cracking away at this since March 28th. So that's a lot of bread in not so many weeks. Yeah, that's fantastic. Congratulations on that. Uh, Ellen, you were... Uh, on board right at the beginning. So tell me what it's been like for you as a baker uh, here in Illinois. Well, um, I think you had mentioned how everything kind of got disrupted very quickly. And for us, when Alyssa had called about doing the neighbor loaves, to be honest, I was so overwhelmed that I was like, I, I don't, I don't, you know, we were moving everything online within a 12 hour span when we realized we couldn't have people in our store anymore. And so to think about, you know, then supplying neighbor loaves, it was pretty overwhelming. And fortunately, I have a really good business partner who 
I said to Alyssa, I said, you know what? I'm like the baker. If this is what we want to do, I'll put you in contact with Julie. And then Julie ran with it. We added this to our website, um, explained it to our customers. And like yesterday, even I was at the, at the store and some people just order five or 10 neighbor loaves and that's all they're ordering. So they, they're not even doing an order for themselves. And And, and I want to just make that clear. Uh, when you do it, you're specifically buying bread that you are going to bake and it's going to go to people who need bread. It doesn't have anything to do with you personally, except that you're purchasing this bread, right? Yeah. So people buy the bread online and then we uh, tally up twice a week because we work with a local food pantry that um, they've seen their gross. I think they have 75% increase in um, people coming through and every week we're donating 500 loaves of bread. Uh, so we do 200 and I think we do actually, it's just under 500. We do 300 on Saturdays, 275 on Wednesdays. And that's the most that they can take. And honestly, that we can kind of produce with our other stuff. So about 500 loaves every week since it started. Wow. That's fabulous. And if people want to, uh, your website, what is that Ellen? It's uh, hewn, H-E-W-N, hewnbread.com. Okay. We need to take a break here, but uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit, bit more about this and, and what folks can do uh, to help and, and how they can bake their own bread and what they should be uh, uh, doing to, to make that happen. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Please stick around. We will be right back. Now more than ever, whether you're a farmer or a backyard grower, it's important to protect the life of your soil. The folks at Blazing Star understand that, which is why they distribute Tinyo Biologicals. For 30 years, Tinyo seed treatments and foliar fertilizers have benefited both large and small organic growers. Many products are OMRI certified for fields or indoor growing. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Small food operations of all kinds, farms, CSAs, and farmers markets are going through uncertain times. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki has just launched a campaign called Keep Eating Healthy, which features local food providers. Here's your chance to help our small farmers and their employees get through difficult times. Write to Mike at MikeNovak.net for more information. And you listeners, buy healthy, nutritious products from these local outlets. Let's help each other out. That's Mike at MikeNovak.net. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Heavy rain can wash topsoil off farm fields. Droughts can leave crops withering in the sun. But improving soil health can help farmers adapt to extreme weather. Healthy soil absorbs and holds more water so farms can better withstand droughts and floods. Jennifer Marcusera of the American Farmland Trust says healthy soil also stores more carbon, which helps slow global warming. What's really encouraging is that there's a whole array, a whole suite of soil health practices that can contribute. Those range from planting cover crops to minimizing tilling. But making these changes costs money, so many growers hesitate to switch practices. Recent research may encourage them. The American Farmland Trust analyzed the costs and benefits of improving soil health on eight farms. The researchers looked at crop growers in Illinois, Ohio, and New York, and almond orchards in California. They found that after making changes, all eight farms had less soil and water runoff and better yields. On average, the farms got more than $3 back for every $1 invested in soil health. 
These case studies are really highlighting what can be achieved not only environmentally but economically, which is critical for the farmer. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. This is Peggy Malecki on the Smart Talk Radio Network with an important message about coronavirus. As we work to slow the spread of COVID-19, it's also important to take care of our animal companions, have extra food and medication on hand, and create a plan for taking care of your pets if you should get sick. Pet support services are more important than ever. Check with your local shelter or rescue to help them with a donation. Consider fostering or adopting a pet. We're all in this together. Visit humanesociety.org. There he is. You know, I didn't know Bob Rivers was still around. That's uh, he's another one of the, the guys that's out there doing these uh, crazy songs. And I, I'm not going to run out. I can tell you, I'm not going to run out of those things. It's his own industry. Yeah. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Very pleased to have on the uh, Zoom machines, Ellen King, the head baker and co-owner of Hewn, H-E-W-N, a bakery in Evanston, Illinois. We also have... Uh, Alyssa Hartman, Executive Director of the Artisan Grain Collaborative in Madison, Wisconsin. We're talking bread. Um, I saw a quote in one of the articles uh, uh, that said, yeah, people are baking bread now because uh, they, they're, they're stuck at home and they got lots of time on their hands and they want to save a little money. And I, I shook my head. I said, no. That's not it. No, it's really not. It's they're terrified to go out to the stores and, and it, it's a lot. And, and actually you can make a better product in your own mm-hmm. uh, kitchen. Uh, and experiment with all sorts of grains you could never get at a normal store. A yeah. Perhaps, but not. I, I mean, I'm uh, Ellen. How, how do you react to that? I mean, do you, do you see the same thing happening? Well, we've been, we've sold flour in our store specifically from the farms that we work with because we've worked with local farms um, since we opened and uh, we've always sold quite a bit of flour, but I'll say that recently since the pandemic, we're selling on average, I mean, a couple thousand dollars of flour every month, which is insane for us and people order it online. And we also, we had a cookbook come out um, last year and people are ordering this cookbook because it's focused on working with local and sustainable. And, um, you know, I don't use the word organic with my grains because to be honest, if I know how the farmer's growing it, it might not be certified organic, but yeah. it's actually grown that way. That's more important to me than a federal label of organic. Um, and so I've seen, yeah, like a huge jump, but I have seen that our sales have, have gone up as well with customers buying bread and pastries from us. Cause sometimes they get a little tired of, um, baking bread. And I mean, honestly, I'm ready to eat out as well. Cause I'm tired of my own cooking. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and once it starts, once it actually starts warming up, it's going to be harder to turn the oven on at home too. Yeah, that's right. That's true. Um, but you mentioned during the break, Ellen, uh, sandwiches have become a big deal. Yeah. So we've always done sandwiches, but on like simple ones like Turkey and ham and, and 
one of the things that we saw was people were tired of eating turkey and ham deli meats. So we started upping our our game with that. So we've um, come out with like a take home kit of like a croque monsieur, which is, um, you know, we have it all done up really, but you have to put the bechamel and the gruyere on top and then heat it at home. So it's fresh right when you make it. And people feel pretty proud about making that at home because you could still burn it. So there is some, some cooking involved. Um, And then we make like a, we started making this crispy chicken with a really nice, uh, cornmeal the bloody butcher variety of cornmeal crusted on it and um with local turnips that we um, make a little turnips law so Hmm. we're starting to get even more kind of creative with sandwiches that people can take home in a meatball sandwich so you go home with really good bread and the meatballs and then you assemble it with mozzarella so we're kind of trying to push the envelope with what people can take home and and cook for their family well let me now i'm hungry for lunch i was gonna say me too (laughs) whoa uh let me ask a question to both of you. Start with you, Alyssa. Uh, it sounds as though you're busier than ever. So are you guys in the an industry that is actually seeing sales increase during this time, or are you just holding your own? How's it working out? Well, I definitely am not going to say it because we've lost all of our wholesale customers. So, um, but it is funny when I hear heard that song about staying home, I, I haven't worked this hard since the bakery first opened over seven years ago. And, you know, we're like, all of us are in survival mode. We have to make do with a much leaner staff because our sales are down, but we're holding our own. And, you know, the other thing to add is we actually moved locations just last week. So we had to move our entire bakery. Wow. It's been planned for this big growth and this exciting new bakery. And we literally, as a team, we couldn't bring in movers. We had to move it ourselves. We hired some people to move our equipment. But otherwise, we literally stopped baking for two days, moved our entire place, and then got it. So I, I don't even, I mean, I know there's a pandemic because we're in survival mode. But like literally, I work, you know, 12 hours a day and come home exhausted and eat like frozen, whatever I freeze <laughs> Eaten frozen. Okay. <laughs> but you know, I will say, and Peggy and I will, will agree with you, Ellen, we've never, we've never worked harder than we have in the last couple of months. Um, I'm not one of those guys and Peggy's uh, not one of those gals that's sitting around trying to figure out what to do with their time. Holy smoke. I wish I had a few more hours in the day right now. I don't know how to keep up. Um, Alyssa, what are you hearing from the, uh, the bakeries in the uh, collaborative? Yeah, I want to mention specifically our local mills. They are cranking it out. A lot of them have quadrupled, quintupled because of the absence of flour and grain in the places people are used to getting it. They are consumers who might not have been aware that there even were local mills processing sustainably raised local grain. Uh, They have seen a massive uptick. So those folks are moving quick trying to get through all the new customers that have become aware of this opportunity to purchase this product and to have it be part of the way that our food dollars as consumers are impacting the local economy, which is super exciting because I think on the whole, 
grain has sort of been the last item to plates in the local food movement or in the regional food movement. So it's been great to see that. And grain farmers, if they have a mill to access or a way to get their product to a consumer, they are doing okay too. But as is true for all areas of the food system right now, if you're a farmer that doesn't have a direct line to your eater, you're struggling because the supply chains are not working right now uh, in the traditional way. So I I want folks to be aware of that. And then also, as Ellen said, bakeries have been gutted and most bakeries produce at least a portion uh, for wholesale accounts, which don't exist anymore. And both because of safety concerns around the pandemic and just reduced capacity, there are less people (laughs) that are able to help carry the load. So, you know, folks are doing their best, certainly. And I think on the whole, grain-based businesses might be faring better than some others, but it certainly hasn't been a cakewalk for anyone. And I want to give a shout out too to our local breweries and distilleries who also use grain. They are struggling mightily. It's mm. been really neat to see distilleries pan, uh, produce sanitizer during the pandemic, but I think we all know that hand sanitizer is not the same as a 10-year aged bourbon in terms of <laughs> your revenues for that and, product, and you, or certainly you, they shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, so it, that's hard. And I think especially for breweries that have a less shelf-stable product than a distillery does, they are struggling. Well, and one other thing I want to get in here while we have just a couple of minutes left, uh, it's important to keep whatever supply supply lines you have going because uh, you, you mentioned farmers, they have to plan ahead. This doesn't just happen overnight where you suddenly have grain. They have, they need to know that if they plant it, there's going to be a market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the farmers in our network over the past couple of weeks, I've been on the phone with them and they've put grain into the ground. The, the funny thing about farmers too, that makes this all a bit ironic, they're used to dealing with such instability, whether it's in the weather or whatever else. They, this is kind of, I, I'm over dramatizing here a bit, but to a certain degree, this is sort of old hat for them. They are used to having to operate without knowing what's going to happen or whether they'll have a crop loss that year. All right. Uh, and uh, I just want to, I do want to remind people that the program is called Neighbor Loaves. And, um, and uh, as I said on my, uh, my blog post, it's breaking bread with neighbor loaves. And that's one way you can, you can allow people to break bread. You can break your own bread and make your own. And, and actually, the photo that I put up there was uh, a couple of loaves we baked here at home. I, by the way, I'm, I put my hand up. This is the first time in my life I've ever baked bread. Now, I didn't do it alone. I had Kathleen helping me, but we we came out with a couple of wonderful. You know, we we've been uh, baking uh, raisin bread, cinnamon raisin bread, and it's awesome. <laughs> it's just uh, it's just a treat. Uh, any final words, Ellen? You've got like uh, ten seconds, and then uh, Alyssa, you same thing for you. No, I'm just grateful for the people that have ordered, and for Alyssa, you know, having inspiration in the shower. I mean, (laughs) where all good ideas are born, right? Yeah, Yeah, just graincollaborative.com backslash neighbor loaves to see the list of participating bakeries and to buy some loaves. And then if you are someone who's baking at home, check up our uh, check out our Upper Midwest grain resource list to find mills and buy Ellen's book so that you know what to do with that grain once you've got it. (laughs) And the name of the book again? It's Heritage Heritage Baking. 
Okay, and it can you can go to hewnbread.com and again, graincollaborative.com. Thank you both, Ellen and Alyssa, for being on the show. Good luck with the bread. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. There's a new urgency for people to grow their own food, and thanks to Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, your seedlings will be healthier with a better germination rate and faster growth. You'll get lower operating costs and higher yields. That's because the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They have a 50,000-plus-hour minimum lifespan, and they're made in America. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase, and go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Small food operations of all kinds, farms, CSAs, and farmers markets are going through uncertain times. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki has just launched a campaign called Keep Eating Healthy, which features local food providers. Here's your chance to help our small farmers and their employees get through difficult times. Write to Mike at MikeNovak.net for more information. And you listeners, buy healthy, nutritious products from these local outlets. Let's help each other out. That's Mike at MikeNovak.net. In the past few months, we've all learned how to be smart, indoors and out. Take that one step further by being smart with your recycling, too. Don't put personal protective equipment or PPE into recycling bins. Those items can't be recycled by your waste hauler, and you might endanger your sanitation workers. Follow the rules of your local municipality. And please, don't throw PPE on the ground. A little common sense and some concern for those around us can go a long way. We're all in this together. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. This is Peggy Malecki from the Smart Talk Radio Network. During the coronavirus outbreak, you can still find fresh, healthy food or help others receive it. Donate money or goods to your local community food bank. Support a local farm or buy a CSA share. Go to feedingamerica.org or ampleharvest.org or mealsonwheelsamerica.org. There's so much to do and so many ways to do it. Don't let anybody go hungry in this time of crisis. We're all in this together. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docs were busy overseas with World War One. Today, we have mass media and scientists... No, she's wonderful. She's actually, I love that. There's actually several, can you believe it? There's several versions of that song related to COVID. 
You yeah, just, I can believe it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Keep Eating Healthy campaign on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Let's start with Backyard Patch Herbs are all locally grown and they're chemical free. You should try their hand-blended herb season split pea soup mix or the red and brown lentil soup mix. You know what? Soup is so good in a time of pandemic. Um, I don't know. It seems like in the middle of the day, I always want a bowl of soup for a cup of soup. Um, and by the way, the red and brown lentil soup mix is a vegan recipe with no meat. Soup is so good. What was that me or? No, that was my computer. Okay. Your, your computer had, uh, just decided to, to. No, I had a relaunch Facebook. I had a relaunch Facebook. So. Yeah. You're having issues with Firefox too, aren't you? Boy, your computer is, is after you today. Anyway, the, uh, the lentil mix is a vegan recipe with no meat bullion or other animal products or the DIY rub and marinade box, a collection of perfect ingredients um, that allows you to make a selection of your own grill mixes for meat rubs and marinades. Now, then we have our friends at Prairie Fruits Farm and Creamery in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, they remind you that May, and I did not know this, is American Cheese Month. So we get a ding for that. And well, today is Mother's Day. So you might uh, order a dote on mom. And you know, and she gets it late, that's okay. You just say, oh, it was, it was the virus. It's it it. the holiday. We enjoy, we celebrate all month. There you go. There you go. It's a dote on mom, cheese and accompaniments, basket extravaganza, uh, a perfect bite for mom, gift package of bloomies, honey, and bread. And a make mom some cinnamon buns package that features a recipe for cinnamon buns using Janie's mill flour, their chev uh, for the frosting, and Voss Orchard pecans. Wow. Okay. And Janie's right. mill is part of the Artisan Grain Collaborative, too. Well, there we go. See, everything, whoops, everything ties together. I hit the plate, uh, my plate here. Okay. Finally, uh, there's an alternative to the store-bought meat mills. Cedar Valley Sustainable Farm CSA is a meat CSA. You know that the animals were raised with respect for them and the earth. And now during COVID-19, they're taking a la carte orders. They feature safe social distancing pickup at various locations in and around Chicago. Click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net to order from all of these great operations. Help us support them while they support us. Go to MikeNovak.net for more details. This is the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We have just a few minutes here, um, and we need to address something that is making people's heads explode, and it need not, and it's, it's really frustrating. And I think part of it has to do with the COVID Thing. People want to talk about anything else but COVID-19. So they're talking about those uh, hornets, the Asian hornet, the killer hornet. What do they call it? The murder, the murder hornet. Murder hornet. Um, and that's actually uh, when I, I. It was even on SNL last night. They mentioned the murder hornet. So. I believe they did. That's that's how it's taking off. And it's creating some problems. Uh, Peggy, you were just telling me that you were looking at a, an article about that and some of the really, really dumb things that people yeah. are doing. The headline in yesterday's Los Angeles Times, panicked over murder hornets, people are killing native bees we desperately need. 
and the article starts saying people get a grip. Basically, what's happening is people are panicking over a couple of hornets that have been spotted, headlines that are uh, one says this, one says that. They're putting out traps and capturing native bees instead of any of the hornets. Because you don't know the difference, folks. You can't tell the difference. Most people, you know, I, I, when I do garden talks, I, I tell people, I say, okay, are you going to spray this bug? Show a picture of any, any insect. Uh, any any kind of bug out there and you say and I say you're going to spray it and and people will go yeah and I go why uh do you know what it is can you identify it for me no you can't then what, are, what the heck are you doing um, well, and, and in this case they're putting out a generic trap that's going to attract everything else I, I I'm going to tell you something right now folks uh you are not going to be stung by a, a murder hornet Zero. You've got like almost zero chance of that ever happening. Hey, remember killer bees uh, back in the day? Speaking of SNL, Saturday, you know, back in John Belushi's day, they did the killer bee sketches. <laughs> How many of us lie awake at night right now worrying about killer bees? So uh, what you should do is pay attention to the extension services because they have the best information. And I got some uh information from Illinois Extension and uh, State uh, Master Gardener Specialist Candace Hart um, shared some of these talking points on the Asian hornet. They call it the Asian hornet, which is, I think, it, that's fine. You know, you call it the murder hornet, and then it leads to the dumb things that people do. So in December of 2019, the USDA confirmed the detection of a single one Asian giant hornet, or AGH, <laughs> in Blaine, Washington. Uh, Washington Department of Agriculture is currently surveying the state for the pest. Uh, should uh, the WSDA locate any AGH nests, they will respond quickly to eradicate them. Although there are a number of unconfirmed sightings from the public, neither USDA nor WSDA has any evidence that AGH populations are established in Washington or anywhere else in the United States. These unconfirmed sightings may be lookalike hornet species that are known to occur in the United States. It does not attack people, by the way, unless it feels threatened. You know, kind of like a lot of bees. They are known to attack and kill other bees in the late summer when developing males and future queens need extra protein to complete their life cycle, they do not attack and kill bees at other times. And you can go to the Washington uh, Department of Agriculture website for more information about that. Uh, I need to check, and I've got one other here, and I want to make sure we've got like a minute left here. Um, this other one came from UC Riverside, University of California, Riverside. And the headline of the email says everything. Murder hornets invade headlines, not the U.S. And that's kind of what we're dealing with here. Um, and uh, according to one of their researchers, um, the fact that the second hornet turned, oh, there were two, uh, let's see, two, 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 two. A resident of the U.S. side of the border, 50 miles from uh, Blaine Washington reported two additional Asian giant hornets in December. Uh, Washington Department of Agriculture collected one, which was dead, 
The other reportedly flew into a nearby forest. Neither that live hornet nor its nest were ever found, but it is unlikely that the insect is still alive, said their spokesperson. So there, there you go. Okay, uh, stick around. We got the second hour of the Mike Novak Show coming up. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, be more specific. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Of course. Attack of the Killer Asparagus is required reading at Starfleet Academy. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Gwynok of Ninglador. Captain, shields are failing. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. Captain, it seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener, taking all our self-delusions, mishaps, and confusions, and playing them for big laughs. That's not very helpful, Mr. Data. No, it is, however, highly accurate. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn Who are watching us on the Facebook stream and the YouTube stream. I hope you enjoyed the musical interlude by our buddy, Mark Dvorak. And uh, I want to thank Kathleen for being uh, uh, a little work into the graphics on that and uh, and for our, our we're going to try to get more musicians on here and so instead of you just sitting there by your computer trying to figure out uh, when we're going to come back at 10.06 you actually get to hear some really really great music so uh, it was wonderful to, ha- to have Mark there um, and uh, I, on this particular day uh, right now I'm looking up at the skylight well it seems to have stopped raining but it's been, it's been sort of a dreary day, but yeah, certainly better than yesterday morning when um, we had freeze. <laughs> we had areas of, of of hard freeze in the Chicago area. It was crazy. And in Indiana, some of it was weird because it was like south of here, Rensselaer, yeah. Indiana. Even in 20- Pennsylvania was had freeze yesterday. Yeah, Pennsylvania uh, and other places. Um, it was kind of, uh, well, it's that lobe of of polar jet or whatever you know <laughs> coming down and 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 whacking us and uh i i'll be honest with you i look at it as a good thing because it keeps people indoors and and what it uh, the other thing it does it helps them uh get uh the bird count uh mm-hmm. because and that's what we're going to be talking about uh in the second segment and, here. and you're not going to like to hear this there are three orioles on my feeder right well la di da <laughs> All right, that's it. Enough, all right? And our guests are already... You I, got, I got one out there right now. Stop it. Everybody, stop it. Oops, I got, great I got, I got four. I got, I got a pavement and some cars, okay? That's what I got here. 
All right. I don't want to hear your bird stories. I really don't. <laughs> save it. Save it for the segment. Um, it's it's good to see, however, that uh, some of the uh, the garden centers are tentatively mm-hmm. opening up again. Um, because I was uh, on uh, the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, he recorded something with me, um, and and uh, it's going to air later this afternoon. Um, and we got to talking about that uh, a little bit. And, you know, for weeks we've been saying, hey, what you can really do during this pandemic is go out in your yard and garden. And the problem is if you don't have the plants mm-hmm. and the means to garden, that's not going to happen. And let's take, keep in account that this is the time of year when garden centers make their money. Yeah. And plant well, sales. Making any money. Yeah. This is crazy because April got wiped out and that is the big month. All right. And May, you know, half of May is gone. Um, and it's another big month for garden centers. And so, uh, I, and I saw a garden center in Chicago that was going to open uh, two days ago. And I, and I think they must've just looked at the forecast and said, why would we open if it's freezing? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the reason, but that might have had something to do with it. So I, I got this uh, piece uh, from the National Gardening Association the other day and and how um, basically uh, it's feast and famine for the garden industry right now. Um, it's wreaking havoc, COVID-19, on the gardening industry, like many other industries. But they're just saying the folks are going to have to figure out how to adapt to this um, and move forward just like again like a lot of industries but in particular this has been really brutal uh and i and i expect to see a number of garden centers go belly up i hope they don't um but it happened in 2008 and it's uh, more than likely going to happen again uh all right we got to take a break and when we come back you guys get to talk about all your wonderful birds in your wonderful yard <laughs> la 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 it's the mike novak show with becky malecki we'll be right back We live in challenging times. They can also be challenging times for your trees. Bartlett Tree Experts understands that. And because their number one concern is safety, routine tree work will be paused during the COVID-19 crisis in America. Bartlett's commitment to safety means being prepared and taking the necessary precautions to ensure the health and safety of their employees and their customers. However, even during a stay-at-home order, storms still happen and trees need essential services performed on them. These include storm damage mitigation, hazard tree removal, deadwood removal that may endanger the public, and treatments to trees that, if not made in a timely fashion, could lead to the death of the tree. That's why Bartlett constantly reviews disease control and prevention guidelines to keep its teams and you safe. If you think your tree needs emergency treatment, give the folks at Bartlett Tree Experts a call. Because even in a pandemic, every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Whether you're working 500 square feet in your backyard or a 1,000-acre farm, it's all about the soil biology. The folks at Blazing Star get it, which is why they work with industry leader Tinyo Biologicals. Tinyo's seed treatments and foliar fertilizers can be used on all types of crops to improve plant health and overall production. Take it from the people who transformed a depleted former cornfield into a vibrant native landscape. Go to blazing-star.com, and while you're there, check out their pollinator packets. The world has changed. A year ago, you were growing food because it was fun. 
Now it's important. That's why you need Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Thanks to the best science, the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They're versatile, they're elegant, they have a five-year warranty, and they're made in America. Peggy and I are huge fans. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase. Go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. In the midst of a pandemic, you might be surprised to know that there are still many plant sales going on in the Chicago area. Most are online events with pickups or deliveries or both. And of course, social distancing. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki has compiled the most comprehensive list of plant sales in our region. Go to any page at MikeNovak.net and click on the 2020 Chicago area plant sales icon on the right side of the page. Happy gardening and stay safe. From small boat to your dinner table with safe, free, no-contact delivery. Sitka Salmon Shares brings premium wild Alaskan seafood direct from their small boat fishermen to your door. They're a community-supported fishery offering shares just like your local CSA. All fish is wild caught in season and with respect for the limits of the ocean. Line caught, hand processed, and traceable to their fleet. Use promo code MIKE25 for $25 off your share. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. That's uh, the uh, Garth Brooks uh, impersonation by Chris Mann from The Voice, who's he's done a lot of these COVID songs uh, during hmm. the break. I always wonder about those folks sitting at home. They, they've all got the, the studios and the mics, and they all sound really professional. And then you've got the, the ones that kind of do it uh, once or twice. And, uh, sometimes the audio is not quite as clean, but his is totally professional. A lot of them are very, very, very good. Uh, well, yesterday was uh, a big day uh, in uh, the birding world, uh, as we uh, alluded to in the previous segment. It was actually uh, Global Big Day, which is from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. Um, it's an annual celebration of birds. It happens to coincide with International Migratory Bird Day. It was a day for folks to go out and and observe birds and become citizen scientists by going to the Cornell Lab website where they could record their information. We'll have some of the local information uh, that we got from our friend Bob Dolgan in a little bit, but let me introduce our guests. We have too many people on the Zoom right now, although I know you can do, like I've seen conferences with 70 people on them, but we've got, we've got right here, we've got Josh Engel, who's the founder of Red Hill Birding. Um, he uh, was an ornithologist at the Field Museum in uh, Chicago for a while before starting his own business. Um, we have Cheryl DeVore, author, writer, photographer, teacher, public speaker. She does it all. Um, she writes for not the Natural Awakening Chicago, for one. So you get a little ding for that. Um, <laughs> and, of course, uh, Birds and Blooms. Um, and we have Pam Carlson, who's been on the show before. Uh, career artist, avid gardener and birder, longtime volunteer uh, with the Flint Creek Wildlife Rehabilitation. Um, 
we finally convinced her last year. I'm so proud of myself. We convinced her to get a Facebook page because she has this amazing garden in Chicago, like right next to the freeway, um, and sees hundreds of different species of birds uh, in her yard. And everybody asks, well, how, how do you do that? And you need to make it public. See, Pam? Uh, so all of you, uh, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Great to be here. Um, let's start with uh, 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 Josh. Let's start with you because you were kind of giving a report during the break of some birds you saw. What what kind of all right? We know the big day was yesterday, but it's sort of an ongoing thing, isn't it? Or do you have to have the cutoff uh, right at midnight uh, to get all the numbers in? Well, for the global big day itself through Cornell, that's a midnight to midnight affair. So one day and it's done. But the idea um, is to get people using their app or their website called eBird, which is where you can record the data, record the birds uh, that you observe. And you can do that any, you know, anytime you want. So, you know, I, I'm submitting lists to eBird almost every day, and it's a great way to sort of make my birding, uh, which I would be doing anyway, to make it a little bit more useful um, as a citizen scientist. So the data all gets submitted to this a database where it's made publicly available and scientists can use it and anyone really can can look at the data and see what see what birds are around and you can even you know if you really want to dig in and um, do your own research you can do that there too yeah and you can you can go to that i've got all all of those links um in fact i have a link here that had some of the numbers worldwide uh from ebird uh and by the way it's ebird.org it's not Freebird. It's eBird. <laughs> but it is no free. no lighter okay. required. <laughs> yeah. Good one. But it, but yeah, yeah. As Josh says it is. Josh free. is awake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In North America, um, there were fifteen hundred ninety nine species recorded. Uh, what's a checklist? Anybody? Yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking at the stats. Wow, it came in from Bob Dolgan. Well, no, no, no. I'm looking at. Oh, uh, you're looking at eBird. Okay. I'm looking at eBird because yeah. So that's North so America. North America in oh, that right. yeah, North America in that would be from the northernmost part of Canada and Alaska all the way down to where Panama uh, meets sure. Colombia. So it's a you know a huge area, but incredibly right. diverse. Because right. said, I don't know what a checklist is, but there were 77,454 checklists. What is, yeah, so a checklist is what the birders who are participating submit. So you make a list of all your birds, you enter it, you hit submit, and that is one list. So, for example, yesterday was also the spring bird count here in Illinois, which is an annual event to help monitor bird populations here. So, um, you know, I was out doing the spring bird count and global big day at the same time, uh, contributing to two different citizen science projects. But I submitted... I can't remember, maybe eight or 10 lists over the course of the day. So each one of those lists counts as one checklist. I see. Okay. Okay. And then the participants uh, in North America were 34,353. So across, uh, is that a good number? Uh, To me, it's a mind boggling number that 34,000 people submitted, you know, that were out birding yesterday in North America, submitting lists, you know, in sort of a, a, targeted fashion of going out with this uh, goal in mind. I think that's really an amazing number. And for people listening to us in other parts of the country who get this on a tape delay, uh, this was on May 9th. So you missed it. (laughs) Uh, So let's say somebody did miss it and they want to 
still be a citizen scientist and and join in the bird spotting here? What would you advise, uh, Josh? Well, you know, it's a little more difficult now because uh, because of COVID. You know, it's uh, especially this time of year. Um, often there's field trips, free field trips that local birding organizations run mm-hmm. almost every day. But of course, those are not happening right now. But a lot of the organizations are doing online um, events where you can, you know, learn about local birds or learn about some topics. So, for example, Chicago Ornithological Society has uh, events every couple of weeks that are really interesting where they get prominent uh, ornithologist birders from around the around the area to present about something. So they actually had a couple of field museum scientists doing that the other day. Um, but anyone can download uh, some of the Cornell apps, in particular Merlin, which helps people identify birds, and eBird, which helps people keep track of their sightings and contribute to the database. And with those two apps, you can start looking right out into your own yard or at your local park and start learning about birds, how to identify them, and contributing to these citizen science projects. Uh, what I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to ask all of our guests here, what was your best sighting yesterday? <laughs> um, well, like I was mentioning in the break, it was a pretty slow day for birding yesterday. So, um, you know, you always hope that there's going to be a, it's going to be gangbusters migration on the global big day, spring bird count day. Yesterday was a little slower. I guess our highlight was, uh, seeing a couple of peregrine falcons. That's always really exciting. One of my favorite birds. Uh, we watched one dive bomb a turkey vulture, which was sort of cool. Um, we also saw another kind of falcon called a Merlin, which is a smaller falcon, migratory falcon. Uh, we saw one of those migrating up the lakefront. That, those, those are two standout birds from yesterday. Well, we should mention that here in certain parts of the Midwest, um, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, uh, Peggy, you mentioned Pennsylvania, it got cold. And why is that? Does, does, do the birds then just hunker down? And, and, and let's go to Pam. You're nodding. Uh, so does that bring the numbers down? Maybe. I don't know. Josh might know more about, about the temperature issue, but when the winds are coming from the north going south, like we were discussing on break, that slows down the migration because when they're, when they're flying up from the south, they want to be riding those winds that come from the south. So numbers are down for that reason, for sure. And just in general, because, yeah, it's been so cold, more north winds, keeping them bottlenecked down south. That's what I'm thinking is happening. You no, know, I'd like to add something to that because um, the birds that are coming through now, a lot of them are neotropical migrants, and they rely on insects for food. And the insect mm-hmm. population goes down when it's cold, of course, because not as many insects can survive. And, and it's also just... Um, there are insects in general, numbers are declining. So I am not sure, you know, I know it's the cold weather and the weather, the weather patterns and the winds, but then now they have to contend with finding food. Um, So it's going to be really interesting to see all this data that we've collected over many, many years to see if numbers of birds are dropping in general, because there's fewer insects. And that of course is uh, Cheryl DeVore. Yes, uh, Peggy. So um, Blog Trotter and, and, and BirdCast, which Cornell Lab of Ornithology um, puts up as well, said the polar vortex definitely, this current polar vortex has affected migration and slowed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the night of May 8th to 9th, the entire Midwest and much of the uh, Northeast had low to no 
migration at all due to the super cold temperatures. The birds just stayed south, and so they're delayed. And as you say, Cheryl, the insects are here, and then the birds aren't. When the weather delays it, that can have some very interesting effects on them. You know, maybe Cornell needs to do a reboot. Do it in another week. And uh, when, <laughs> when the weather's a little warmer, then you might get some different numbers. I mean, it, obviously, there's nothing you can do to control those kinds of situations. But in other parts of North America, obviously, it was warm and people were out there and they were able to see some of the migrating birds. Uh, by the way, uh, back to the world numbers real quick. The species leader, who wants to guess which country it is, unless you've already looked at this? Anybody? I could, I could definitely guess. Yeah, it's got, it has to be Colombia. Oh, ding. Wait. You get a ding. Wow. <laughs> he gets the coffee chair. You know, Colombia has Columbia has more bird species than any other country in the world, and they take Global Big Day very seriously. So, ah, you know, those ah, two factors. Had, really yeah, helped. they had uh, more than three hundred uh, species uh, greater than the next country, which is Peru. So, Colombia had thirteen oh three. Peru, 994. Ecuador, 950. Obviously, mm-hmm. Amazon has a lot to do with this, right? Not, not the company, okay? The not Amazon. <laughs> Boy, Jeff Bezos gets his fingers in it. <sighs> uh, Brazil is fourth at 887, and the United States comes in fifth. That's eight. Wow. Is that a good I'm number surprised. Yeah. Okay, Mexico was sixth. Costa Rica, seventh. Panama, eighth. Argentina ninth and Kenya uh, uh, tenth. So hmm. there you go. Um, so, uh, boy, uh, Peggy, I don't, I don't know where to go from here. I, you know, I want to. I, I so, got kind of trapped by my numbers here. Got got caught in the data there. And actually, yeah. um, since we are heading soon into a break, we have a question from Audrey who asks if the data collected tracks how things like light pollution and cities are affecting bird migration? Has there been any changes? Can we see that in the data? Probably not in these data in particular. Um, but there, I mean, there are studies that have been done about light pollution. We know that cities have a huge effect on migration. Mm-hmm. There's some evidence uh, that, that has been published fairly recently showing that the lights may have a um, the effect of attracting birds. So, uh, you know, in almost in a way of uh, like insects are attracted to the lights, birds can be attracted to these lights. So, you know, what one thing that that brings to mind to me is just how important all of our pockets of migratory bird habitat are um, in our area, you know, if we're going to be attracting birds here during migration. So everything from from Pam's yard to um, all our forest preserves, you know, these are all really yeah. important patches of habitat, given the um, urban mass, the urban spread that we that we have around here. Right. And cities dimming the lights too. But yeah, sorry, Mike, you were going to. Oh, I'm just going to say before we go to the break, we didn't ask Cheryl and Pam what their big uh, discoveries were yesterday, their their best sightings. So uh, Cheryl, let's start with you. Um, Well, I was with my husband, Steve Bailey, who's an ornithologist. So I have to say that I, you know, I'm going to see some good birds, even if there aren't a lot of them. We found a pair of trumpeter swans, which are really rare um, as nesters in Illinois, and they are likely nesting. This was close to the Wisconsin border. And then sandhill cranes with colts, we Mm -hmm. saw 
And um, to me, that was, you know, people might say, well, what, you know, what really rare bird did you see? Well, the truth is just to be out there and just seeing the birds and hearing them sing and looking at the vistas, to me, that like, like Pam said, it's like a vacation. It's like you're in heaven. I, it, it was just a wonderful day. Okay. Well, Pam, you're going to have to wait until we get back from the break because we're, we're out of time here. And when we come back, we'll find out what Pam saw in her backyard in Chicago. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking birding. We'll be right back. Now more than ever, whether you're a farmer or a backyard grower, it's important to protect the life of your soil. The folks at Blazing Star understand that, which is why they distribute Tinyo Biologicals. For 30 years, Tinyo seed treatments and foliar fertilizers have benefited both large and small organic growers. Many products are OMRI certified for fields or indoor growing. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Small food operations of all kinds, farms, CSAs, and farmers markets are going through uncertain times. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki has just launched a campaign called Keep Eating Healthy, which features local food providers. Here's your chance to help our small farmers and their employees get through difficult times. Write to Mike at MikeNovak.net for more information. And you listeners, buy healthy, nutritious products from these local outlets. Let's help each other out. That's Mike at MikeNovak.net. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. The Missouri Botanical Garden has long been a trusted resource for information about plants and gardening. And now, local residents can turn to the garden to learn more about going solar. One of the things that we hear the most from people is that, you know, I'm really interested in going solar at my home, but it's complicated, and there's so many things for me to consider, and I'm busy, and I'll get to it one of these days. That's Glenda Abney of the Botanical Garden Sustainability Division. Last year, the garden partnered with Washington University in St. Louis and the Midwest Renewable Energy Association on a program called Grow Solar St. Louis. The program offers information sessions designed to make it easy for local residents who are interested in installing solar at their homes. At the end of the program, our solar providers are at the back of the room. You can go ahead and talk to them right then. Give them your address. They pull it up. They have a special software program. And they can tell you right then, with an initial review, if your home is viable. In the first year, more than 70 participants installed solar panels, which exceeded expectations. So Abney says they plan to offer the program again. She says by encouraging clean energy, the garden is helping clean up the planet for plants and people. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook and YouTube at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the Smart Talk Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up to get our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net.
think that some of our guests will relate to this uh, <laughs> about trying to get the login to the Zoom meeting. And that's a very funny song done by a fifth grader um, uh, to the Leonard Cohen song, Hallelujah. Um, and it's, it's all about getting the passwords from Zoom and, and into the darn <laughs> meeting. So there you go. Hey, we'll be right back talking about birds. But welcome to the Keep eating healthy campaign on the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, let's talk about backyard patch herbs. They're all locally grown and they're chemical free. Try their hand blended herb season, split pea soup mix or the red and brown lentil soup mix a vegan recipe with no meat bullion or other animal products or the DIY rub and marinade box, a collection of perfect ingredients that allows you to make a selection for your own grill mixes for meat rubs and marinades. Then there's the folks at Prairie Fruits Farm and Creamery in Champaign. Uh, they remind you that May is American Cheese Month, and of course, today is Mother's Day, so you might order a dote on mom cheese and accompaniments basket extravaganza. Uh, it has a perfect bite for mom gift package of boomies, honey, and bread, and a make mom some cinnamon buns package that features a recipe for cinnamon buns using Janie's mill flour, which we talked about in the first hour. Um, Cedar Valley Sustainable Farm CSA is a meat CSA. Now, you know, when you order from them and you pick up from them that the animals were raised with respect for them and the earth. And now during the COVID-19 emergency, they're taking a la carte orders. Uh, in fact, uh, Kathleen and I are about to do that. They feature safe social distancing pickup at various locations in and around Chicago. To find all of these great operations, click on the Keep Eating Healthy logo at MikeNovak.net in order to, uh, to put it in your order. Help us support them while they support us. Go to MikeNovak.net for more details. Welcome back to the show. We're talking about the Big Bird Day, which was uh, the 9th of May, but birding goes on all the time, and you can always be a citizen scientist and that's why we have uh, on the Zoom machine today, Pam Carlson, Cheryl DeVore, Josh Engel. Uh, Pam, let's pick up with you. You need to tell us what your big sighting was uh, on the big day yesterday. I have to say there wasn't anything that like um, was super unusual, um, but we did have five Baltimore Orioles all day. We've had four for over a week now. Hey, four more and you have a baseball team. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Orioles. Um, so that's that's always a treat. They're such vivid, beautiful birds. I never tire of seeing mm -hmm. them. As with the rose-breasted grosbeak, um, they're stunning, stunning birds. The males are gorgeous. Um, had those all day. Um, had a coop that Cooper's hawk that ate a meal in the front. That was kind of cool to watch. Wait, wait, wait. To... And what kind of a meal was it? Uh, it was a bird of some sort. I, I got to zoom in. Um, I'm thinking it was either a pigeon because we're right by the Kennedy. Maybe a morning mm. dove or something. Or yeah. a morning dove. It was one of the other. Um, so that was cool to sit there and watch watch it feeding. Um, and then sparrows. We had white-crowned sparrows, white-throated sparrows. We had a Lincoln sparrow, which I love. Mm. They're one of my favorites because they have just really fine detail in their feathers. Um, but overall, kind of what Cheryl was saying, just... To participate, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it, but to me, with all that's going on in the world with COVID, it was just so cool to participate in something so positive and healthy and wonderful to celebrate the birds and, and thinking that everybody around the world was participating in it. And like I was even texting with my friend Stephanie, she was watching in her 
native garden and um and my oldest sister called me to tell me that she saw an indigo bunting and she was super excited so i i think just the overall participation and joy was it was a healthy thing for people all yeah. over the world and spring goes on around us spring continues yes. yes yeah and and of course uh you see different birds at different times of the year too yeah. it's almost like plants that you see the succession of plants during the year you also see the succession of birds uh don't you josh totally yep and especially this time of year yeah, every single day is different. You know, there's yeah. birds arriving from the south every day. Um, we were talking about how today there was a big arrival, but even yesterday, when the weather was not conducive to it, you know, there were some new birds because birds have to migrate this time of year. They don't mm-hmm. have a choice. They have to get to their breeding grounds. They have a very limited amount of time mm-hmm. to be there and reproduce. So, uh, yeah, every day is different, and uh, every day you can see something new. Yeah, and I think one of the things that makes the spring migration more special is this is the time that especially the male birds are in their most colorful plumage. They come through in the fall, but they're dull and drab and you, you're not hearing the songs and you're not seeing the brilliant yellows and oranges. And they're all tuckered out by then. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Pam, your yard you've worked on for years. You've, you've built an amazing habitat oasis in the city. Um, Doug Tallamy wrote yes. about you actually yes. in, in his uh, most recent book, <laughs> nature's best hope. You're famous. Yeah. So how, how, how do you do that in the city? Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good question because I, I, I'm sitting here looking at no birds right now out in my front. Uh, and, you know, I see the what I get when I put the bird feeder up, I get a gazillion sparrows. Uh, and then the pigeons come and they try to feed. And occasionally a cardinal will land on there or a finch. Um, how do you do what you do there? I think the main thing is, um, well, there's several key um, ingredients to a successful bird garden, layering, planting for layers, because the birds have all different feeding styles. Some like to stay on the ground, hiding underneath um, plants. Some like to feed in trees. It's very diverse um, and very diverse um, diets. also, no pesticides, including herbicides, because um, you want those insects. Insects are really so important for birds. Um, and if you have the right um, habitat, it all works together. So you're not like inundated by mosquitoes because the birds are eating the mosquitoes and dragonflies are eating the mosquitoes. So it's it's practicing um, environmentally friendly um, gardening techniques buying as many using as many natives as you can and if your yard is small like ours is is quite small and we're half a block from the kennedy expressway and we're underneath a major runway to o'hare um and busy streets i mean um so natives and i use cultivars of natives Mm -hmm. also to get the diversity because they're smaller um yeah and just that over the years if people can just turn little bits of their yard and build upon that. That's what I did. I started with a a little patch and just continued to add and add and add and add. And the more bird species that come, the more motivating it is and joyful. Um, What what about water? Water, water, water's a big key. So um, when we put in a water feature, we have a stream, um, the birds bathe in the stream and they fly catch over the stream um so if you can even just do like a little bubbler that makes a big difference they, they in love a bird this bath, you mean 
yeah, yeah. They love the sound of water. Um, so you don't have to do anything elaborate. Um, but that's really important is to provide water for them, not only to drink, but for um, bathing. Like it, it was like around five o'clock yesterday, all the birds are bathing. <laughs> so. All at once. Uh, yeah. Okay. I put uh, little towels out for him too. <laughs> Cheryl, Cheryl, do you have any tips you'd like to, we, we're, we got just a couple of minutes left. I want to get to Cheryl and the Josh. Cheryl, what are your tips for? Uh, well, I, I agree with Pam and um, diversity and native um, and layers are all important. And some of the plants will grow in your yard. They might not grow in somebody else's yard and vice versa. So we have to see what works. I happen to have a lovely little stand of cardinal flowers, blue lobelias. I don't know why they grow there, but hummingbirds love them. And then also some trumpet creeper. Um, Orioles will pierce part of the flower and get some of the the, the um, juice out of there. So you watch learn what they love and you keep adding and um the that to me it's just like put some natives in there and just watch what's happening and the layers too and the water the water is is also important we have bird baths and little little fountains all right let's give add. let's give uh, josh uh, the, you get the final word here josh <laughs> well i would say you know they have all the great advice for what to put in your backyard. And I can tell you what to look for a little bit. You know, I, there's the three birds that I sort of consider the trifecta of beautiful spring migrant backyard birds, indigo, bunting, rose-breasted, grosbeak, and Baltimore Oriole. And those are birds that even if you're not, don't consider yourself a birder, they're so brilliant. They'll come to backyard. So just be on a lookout for those. And maybe you'll get especially lucky and even find a scarlet tanager, which is the most incredible red color that you've ever seen in your life. You guys, all- might as, you might as well be speaking in a different language. Okay. I am just going <laughs> That's me. I'm, I'm kind of an idiot. Hey, thank you all for being on the show. Pam Carlson, Cheryl DeVore, Josh Engel. We appreciate it. You're welcome back anytime. We've got Rick DeMaio and weather and climate coming up. This is Mike Novak here with Peggy Malone. Mosquitoes transmit deadly diseases like Zika and West Nile virus, but Summit Mosquito Dunks kill mosquitoes before they're old enough to bite. Just float an organic mosquito dunk in ponds, bird baths, and any standing water to kill mosquito larvae for 30 days or longer. Don't worry, mosquito dunks won't harm people, pets, fish, or wildlife. Mosquito dunks, available at fine garden centers, hardware stores, and online. Visit SummitResponsibleSolutions.com. In the past couple of months, we've all learned how to be smart indoors and out. So take that one step further by being smart with your recycling, too. Don't put personal protective equipment or PPE into recycling bins. Those items can't be recycled by your waste hauler, and you might endanger our sanitation workers. And please don't throw PPE on the ground. Do we really have to tell you why? A little common sense and a lot of concern for those around us can go a long way. We're all in this together. This is Mike Novak. For weeks, Peggy and I have been talking about how easy it is to support clean energy thanks to Hero Power. And now they're backing that up by offering you $25 off to join the Hero Power Clean Energy Program. You get 100% of your electricity consumption matched with Green E certified renewable energy certificates every time you pay your electric bill. Plus, you'll never pay more than the ComEd rate. You'll know where your money is going without extra costs or terminal 
termination fees. Your bill doesn't change. Your service doesn't change. You still pay the ComEd basic electric rate. Sign up in less than two minutes and Hero Power will handle the rest. Plus, you can get a $25 credit off your first bill when you sign up and mention that you heard about Hero Power on the Mike Novak Show. Support clean energy now at MyHeroPower.com. I switched. You should too. Go to MyHeroPower.com. I'll do the same thing tomorrow. Sit here on my butt and eat a churro. <laughs> that seems fun. I've got seven zooms tomorrow. They'll say words like circle back and cash flow to everyone. All my kids want to play all day. I'm working and we made the same mess as yesterday. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I'll betcha tomorrow will be the same as today. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Mlecky. That That's the Holderness family. The Holderness family does a whole bunch of these. The Holderness family is the one that did the um, the PC version of Baby It's Cold Outside that I played during the holidays. It's uh, uh, time to go home. Uh, uh, Whatever. Uh, Let's just go to Rick DeMaio, a meteorologist extraordinaire um, who predicted quite accurately that we were going to get a freeze and boy oh boy did you come through this week i'm not sure that's so good but your prediction was spot on rick well thanks i mean it's it's recognizing patterns it's recognizing um long-term trends and like i said these kind of forecasts you can start large um three days out you go medium and then 24 hours out you go small but if you start to focus too close on the small too soon, you kind of lose track of what's happening. What was interesting is while we were getting, you know, the freeze, they were getting record amounts of snow in parts of the Poconos, the Catskills, uh, the Green Mountains of Vermont, anywhere between two and as much as eight inches of snow. And this was all the way down to about 1,000 feet elevation. So while we got the cold here, uh, parts of the northeast New England got the snow. And, again, you're looking at the calendar and you're like, all right already, you know, the first day of summer is six weeks away, and we're talking about winter weather. I mean, at least let's have somewhat of a normal spring here. But um, our weather, um, staying wet today, and believe it or not, getting colder uh, in about three or four hours as another polar air mass comes down in our direction. Oh, boy. I can uh, hardly wait. Thank you, Mr. Sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, some, something, yeah. else I, I, something else I notice uh, because I've – got some seedlings out in the backyard it's been dry the last few days and uh you don't notice it when the temperature's cold very 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 low relative humidity you're exactly right which is part of why it got so cold isn't it absolutely peg i mean when you look at those uh the dew points that came down the lake on friday typically with that kind of a cold air mass um the amount of latent heat release and condensation that's evaporated into the atmosphere from Lake Michigan this time of year should easily produce overcast skies through the night. But we had that four or five hour period of clouds Friday morning and by noon we were clear 
and the dew points were basically in the you know low mid twenties. And when you get mid twenties dew points, um, typically your overnight low temperature will fall to the dew point temperature um, as long as the winds are light. And if if you guys notice Saturday morning, there was no frost anywhere. This was a freeze. And the reason why there was no frost was because, as you and, and Mike just pointed out, Peg, was it was dry. So typically when you have these kind of marine air masses come in, lay down a little bit of, of haze and some fog, you clear out, you get frost. Um, that didn't happen with this. This was an air mass that basically originated pretty much close to the North Pole, came all the way across Hudson Bay, did not modify at all, came all the way across Lake Superior, produced two to four inches of snow in the UP of Michigan, and then came all the way down the length of Lake Michigan. And even though O'Hare got to 31 degrees, didn't break the record, which was 27, there were many places outside of the urban heat island uh, that got down to 25, 26, 27 degrees for six or seven hours, which qualified as a hard freeze. I actually had to call up WGN Radio because they, they kept saying widespread frost tonight. And I'm like, mm-hmm. guys, there's not going to be frost with this. This is a freeze. This is a hard freeze. And they kept saying, well, what's the difference? And I had to explain it to them. And I don't like to do that, but yeah. there's a big difference between the frost and the freeze. I guess Skilling must have been uh, otherwise engaged at the time. But uh, yeah. so what's going on here? Big picture. Is, uh, is the polar vortex wobbling uh, around the pole again? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, actually, it actually got dislodged about three weeks ago um, and was forced southward over um, Hudson Bay. And Hudson Bay, Canada, this time of year, is just, it's brutal. I mean, you look at some web webcams of that area and the entire body of water is frozen over there's still a lot of snow across southeast canada Hmm. and if you can get pieces of the polar vortex come anywhere near hudson bay this time of year it'll stay there for easily four or five weeks now what's keeping it there also is the fact that you have this ridge in the atmosphere that's producing you know very high level winds north now of fairbanks fairbanks it's 70 yesterday, they could hit 80 today. So it's always wow. not, I should say, it's not always one thing. It's normally a combination of several things. But we're lucky that this pattern that we're in right now wasn't here two months ago. We would be talking about a much, much colder and snowier end of the winter season, which we didn't have. But what's odd is that we had so much snow in October, November, and then in March and April that we ended up with only a two-inch deficit for the season, which is quite odd. Um, I have not looked at the deficit yet so far for this month, temperature-wise, but I'm sure we're probably close to about 10 degrees below normal for the month. Yeah. I read something that said Mother's Day is colder than Christmas was. (laughs) Yeah, you're exactly right, Peg. Uh, Christmas was 57 degrees. um, And Mother's Day so far, whatever our temperature was about two or three days ago, um, that, two or three days ago, two or three hours ago, that'll be it because the wind's already turned around to the west. So we'll end up with a high of about, I think, 52 or 53 today when the normal is 68. And the normal high on the Christmas deficit. is 30. I mean, adding to the deficit, right? And then on Christmas Day, it was 57. So, I mean, anytime you have a warm day or warm temperatures on a holiday like Christmas, you can compare it to many other days and go, that's not right. And All it right. certainly is not right. But yeah, go ahead, Mike. 
Yeah, just to say, let's get us a forecast. But since we're 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 in the middle of this, where does it go from here? All right. Um, so we're not done with the rain today. There's a little bit more coming uh, down with this upper low. I was just looking, and I sent you guys some updated information. Overnight low temperatures, if people are concerned, maybe down to about 33 or 34. So we're not going to get a freeze. There's going to be too much cloud cover for that. But then it looks like we kind of moderate a little bit with temperatures mid to upper 50s, close to 60 degrees for the next four to five days. And really nothing in a way of any long-term significant warming until probably the end of next week. Okay. Keep it in mind. Thank you, uh, Rick DeMaio. You have a great Mother's Day, whatever you do today. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you next week. Thanks. All righty. want to thank everybody who is on the show today. Uh, if I could find the list here, it's here. Oh, Al- Alyssa Hartman, Ellen King, uh, Pam Carlson, Cheryl DeVore, Josh Angle, Rick DeMaio, and the rest. Until next time, go green or go home. Miss much.